Hi, everyone. Just before we get going, I want to remind you that everything we talk about and discuss should not be considered as investment advice. The purpose of what we talk about on Catherine Murray Media and Markets on YouTube, as well as Catherine Murray in conversation with on my podcast, should be viewed as informational and entertainment purposes only. Please definitely do your own research, your own homework, and definitely consult an investment professional before making any investment decisions. And also to note, some of us might hold positions in some of the stocks uh, that we discuss. Colin, great to be able to uh, to be with you once again and to get your perspective for our viewers um, in terms of everything that's been going in the market. So going on in the market. So why don't we just start with that from a top-down perspective? Um, there's a lot of key themes, whether it's inflation, um, growth versus value, some of these Reddit stocks moving higher. Uh, what, what's kind of top of mind for you? Uh, top of mind for me lately has just been the, uh, the large amount of, of sector and capital flows that we're seeing between different asset classes and, and within asset classes. We're, uh, we're continuing to move through this, this period of, uh, of economic reopening that has really accelerated in the U.S., and it's just starting to get going in Canada this month. But of course, markets that look six to nine months ahead are already starting to anticipate a lot of this. And it's a real shift because a year ago, we went into the lockdown, stay at home, work from home economy that benefited certain sectors, particularly it, uh, it benefited technology, communications, and, and those were stocks that are more heavily weighted in, in the US, particularly on the NASDAQ. And, and then other sectors like the um, hospitality, whether that's restaurants or hotels and airlines and things related to personal travel, and then things like energy and commodity prices and, uh, and, and financials because they had to take such uh, large loan loss provisions. And now we're seeing that reverse itself where even though the technology and communications companies are continuing to do well, there, there is questions out there among, the mar among investors of how far can they go? How is their momentum gonna do when they face up against tougher year-over-year -year comparisons? And, and can they keep it going in, in the, when, when the uh, social trends are starting to shift back the other way? Was this a, a one-time thing or, uh, or is this the start of a larger trend? And it remains to be seen on those. And we've seen over the last few months that the NASDAQ has leveled off, the, uh, the wrestle as well with some of the smaller cap stocks has started to level off. And, and meanwhile, uh, indices and, and sectors that have benefited more from the catch-up and reopening have done really well. Uh, most recently, we're seeing the TSX in Canada has gotten up to uh, 20,000. And, and that's been driven by the fact that its three largest groups, energy, materials, and financials, have all benefited from this uh, catching up play from reopening, from uh, the shift from growth to value, and uh, and a lot of things like that. And so that's what we're seeing is this kind of the um, what we called the K-shaped recovery last year, where some sectors did well and some sectors did poorly, is now kind of reversing itself, almost now into a diamond shape, because we're uh, we're seeing that uh, that 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 divergence that opened up is now starting to close. So initially that benefited the U.S. and the Nasdaq, and now we're seeing the uh, the reverse of that higher relative strength in Canada and in the TSX, and, and not just Canada, but in other um, resource-sensitive markets as well. So things like Australia, uh, even the FTSE in the UK has a higher weighting to uh, some of the large cap energy and uh, and material stocks uh, overseas. So that, that, that index has done well too. 
So just to pick up, I mean, there's a lot to pick up on there for sure, but, but why don't we start with some of the incredible performance that we've seen um, in the commodity sector on the TSX? And the big question, of course, is whether or not that continues. Uh, what do you think? Uh, at this point in time, we, what, we, what I've been seeing is a bit of change in leadership in the, uh, in the commodity sector. So some of the, the commodities that have had huge, huge moves over the last few months, particularly lumber, are, uh, are starting to see corrections and, uh, and maybe copper a little bit as well. But at the same time, we're seeing other things pick up. Energy has started to pick up again. We're also seeing gold and silver and other precious metals picking up. And, and even some metals that we don't usually think of, things like lithium, which goes into batteries, things like uranium, uh, which is used, of course, in, uh, in cl clean energy. And, uh, and some of those things have also have been starting to pick up as well. So, it's, it's interesting when we look at commodities, because a lot of times we, we look at it as a, a singular asset class, but there's, there's quite a number of different subgroups within it that can perform wildly differently at, at different points in time. And so do you still see, like when you take a look then at the various um, industries or you know, subsectors of commodities, do you still see a lot of upside? Like if you take WTI as an example, um, and of course, OPEC plus meeting. What what do we take away from that? What's the right What's the right uh, thinking in terms of where we'll see the price of oil go next? I mean, I think seventy seven dollars in twenty eighteen was the peak, pre most recent peak. Sure. So at, at SIA, we do a lot of study into the the relative strength and a capital rotation and, and tactical asset allocation. And what we've been seeing lately is that, as I mentioned, that even though some of the uh, commodity related stocks have been coming off a little bit they've been replaced and and we've seen in our in our rankings by other uh, other stocks moving up so there's definitely a uh, a rotation in uh, in leadership through uh, measuring uh, capital flows and, and price changes uh, between different groups uh, in terms of energy right now in particular looking at the oil price uh, the OPEC plus meeting this week was quite encouraging they didn't add and they're not planning to add any more production beyond what they had previously announced. And that was about 2 million barrels or so by the end of July, this being okay. the beginning of June. So over the next couple of months. And, uh, and that at this point in time, the street seems to be thinking that that is an amount that the market can absorb in terms of, uh, in terms of growing demand. The, uh, the other one watching for, of course, is uh, the potential. We had seen oil have a bit of a correction in the last few weeks over this reopening of, of talks with Iran. And uh, could sanctions be lifted to the point where we'd have another big player coming back into the market and adding supply? But uh, as time has gone on, it's, it's become more apparent that this is going to take a while. This isn't going to be something that's going to happen immediately. This could take months. This could take years. Who knows? But it's, it doesn't look like it's going to happen within the next week or two. So the market seems to have, uh, have cooled their concerns uh, over that. So overall, at this point in time, we're in a situation where the global economy continues to recover and reopen, and that's boosting demand. And the increases in, in restoration of supply is, is being carefully managed to keep that in balance. And that has kept uh, sentiment towards energy positive. And Colin, going back to something you, you just mentioned, which I think is really interesting and important, you know, that you and your team do work as it relates to capital flows and to be very tactical. Because um, there's so many different investment styles out there. And I think that's an important one to, to pay attention to that not everybody does. Um, but, but it really does impact, you know, the next move uh, up or down for various stocks or sectors. So in terms of where you're really starting to see that, that flow 
increase. Um, what, what are some of the areas like you kind of mentioned them, but like, what would be one of your two your top two ideas in, in terms of where the money's really moving? So uh, some of the areas where we've particularly seen uh, new capital flows lately, uh, number one has been the banks. They're, uh, they've really been uh, on, a, on, a rare for, on a roll for a, uh, a couple of months now. The, uh, the latest round of earnings reports from Canadian banks were absolutely spectacular. Their, uh, their banking results didn't seem to be too impacted by uh, lockdowns in Canada. And, and a lot of them with international operations are, are benefiting from the recovery in the United States. They're also benefiting from strong capital markets, strong stock markets have helped to uh, support investment banking and, and other uh, investment related revenues. So the, uh, the banking sector is one that's been, uh, been doing, has been particularly strong lately, attracting a lot of interest, a lot of capital. Uh, energy has also been picking up based on the uh, improvement we've seen in the oil price lately. Oil had leveled off for a, a couple of months, really since about March. And, uh, and in the last few days, we've started to see it really start to pick up and, uh, and move higher again. So that has uh, attracted capital back uh, into energy stocks as well. And Colin, do you see um, in, in terms of the move into energy, Canadian energy and Canadian banks, do you see much foreign inflows? Because for so many years now with the Canadian market, the way it's been, um, you know, we saw an exodus, uh, just even from the corporate perspective and therefore also, of course, money in the stocks moved out of Canada as well. Um, has that come back? Are you seeing that? Uh, I haven't seen that in the uh, in the data that I have. I don't really uh, follow as much data on capital inflows and outflows into into Canada, so it's it would be hard to say on that. Okay, um, fair point. Uh, in, in terms of um, other areas uh, of the market that are getting a lot of attention, of course, there's so much focus now on the U.S. Federal Reserve and whether or not um, they're going to start to talk about tapering. So uh, <laughs> the market's trying to interpret that. And, and you know, A, what, what's your sense in terms of exactly what the market is thinking? Uh, at this point in time, the, uh, the, the party line from the Fed has continued to be that they're prepared to uh, let inflation run for a little bit, thinking that if they have a, uh, a 2% average long-term goal, that's not a ceiling, that's an average. So if you spend a period of time well below 2%, say at 1%, then they might be willing to let it run above 2% for a while to bring that average back up. Uh, the other thing they're thinking is that uh, because a lot of the recent inflation has been driven by commodity prices, that as we know, commodity prices go up and down. And the other thing we're seeing is, particularly like over a year ago, commodity prices were extremely depressed in the spring of 2020 and now they've bounced back so they're significantly higher but they're asking hey, well how much farther can they go from here and that uh, that remains to be seen the uh, so the other part of that so generally speaking at this point the fed has uh, has remained dovish we had seen uh, us treasury yields and and traded interest rates creeping up uh, back in the a couple of months ago based on the anticipation that well maybe the fed will have to do something at some point but at this point they they came they, it, it's leveled off in the the 160 between say 150 and 175 and it's just kind of sitting there now while people are waiting for something more tangible from the Fed about when they might start running things down. Now, what's interesting is uh, being June, we do have a number of central bank meetings coming up. So hmm. the first one up is the uh, the Bank of Canada. 
And uh, they, of course, have already started winding down their asset purchases. They had the Bank of Canada had never done an, uh, done anything like QE or asset purchases before 2020. They came in extremely aggressively at that point, and now they're one of the first to start winding that back down again. Uh, we also have the European Central Bank. They're still been uh, full on in terms of stimulus. And then later in the month, we have the Fed and the Bank of England and, and some of the yeah. other central banks. So uh, the Fed has their meeting uh, later in June. And, uh, and so what I think people will be keeping an eye on is, is a few things, the, uh, what we call the, uh, the infamous dot plot, where they all, uh, it's a chart that shows what all, where all the Fed members think interest rates are going to be at the end of this year and next year and so on. We'll see if there's any, any kind of change or, or movement there, or if they make any changes to their, uh, to their forecasts, uh, particularly for inflation. The, uh, the one also thing with inflation that we are keeping an eye on is, uh, is wage inflation is the, uh, the and we're seeing that through the, the strong employment reports are, uh, and job creation, are we starting to see that push up on wages? Because uh, as I mentioned, inflation, uh, sorry, commodity-based inflation, uh, go, price inflation goes up and down, but wages tend to be stickier. And when they go up, particularly the minimum wage, they tend to stay up. So it's not often you see wages getting, uh, getting cut back down. So uh, we are keeping an eye on that. Some companies have had to actually raise uh, wages at the lower end to attract workers in the states where, uh, mm -hmm. where things are more, are more advanced in terms of reopening. So we're keeping and, an eye on that. Yeah, and yeah. well, I guess two, two, two questions there to follow up on. One is, you know, if the market you know, is concerned about what the Fed may or may not do, even though that they've been very, very clear that they're not going to cut back on, on tapering before uh, the economy is in full recovery mode. Um, you know, the market's not going to wait, um, you know, for the Fed to, to be very, very clear on that. And, but right now, it seems to be in a bit of a, a calm that they're believing the Fed today. But what do, what do you say? Uh, at this point in time, I, I it seems to me like the, that the Fed uh, is probably not wanting to make it make too many waves through the summer. Historically, when they've wanted to move uh, make changes in the, in the direction of monetary policy, they've started to hint towards it at their annual conference in Wyoming in August. It's called the Jackson Hole Conference, and uh, and that's often where the Fed chairs have gone to uh, to tell the markets that yeah, we're ready to make changes, we're ready to start raising interest rates or or cutting back things, and, and that goes back to the, um, the both mm -hmm. uh, both predecessors uh, Bernanke as well as uh, as well as Yellen. So this okay. would that would it would not be un unusual to think that that might be where uh, where Powell might uh, might start to uh, make some hints about what they're planning to do. Okay, uh, you know, and it's important because it does change. It, it can have the impact of uh, making the the markets very volatile. Um, and, and also, of course, impacting inflation expectations and interest rate expectations, of, which, of course, can put some downward pressure on those tech stocks. So, uh, you know, do you think that there's, you know, should investors who own some of these tech names with the higher valuations, should they be, you know, worried or planning to trim ahead of the Jackson Hole meeting? Well, at this point in time, we have already seen uh, investors taking some profits as part of the natural rotation of 
of uh, where we've seen that some of the, the previous market leaders had started to level off and come off. And we've seen that in the NASDAQ index uh, as well. So, so and, then, and then we've seen that shifting into some of what we call the catch-up plays, the, uh, the, the stocks that had been depressed that are starting to move up. So um, whether we call that a, a reopening trade or a shift from, from growth to value, that, in, in a lot of ways that, that in itself is already underway. Now, the, the thing we want to do keep consider is, uh, is seasonality in the markets. And, uh, and it is oftentimes we've seen historically the markets get off to a fairly strong start to the year up until about May. And then as spring earnings season winds down, is a mid-May to the end of June, we often have a consolidation or a correction in the markets. And it's a function primarily of that news flow slows down and, and people start to go on vacation and things like that. And some of the upward momentum you've had fades a little bit or, or people start to take profits or what have you ahead of the summer. And then you often will see a rebound in an increase in interest again in July around the, the summer earnings season. And that runs from say mid July to early July to mid August. And then, and then historically the, the weakest and most volatile time of the year for stock markets is between about the middle of August and the middle of October. So, which also right just after the beginning of that is when the Fed has their meetings. So uh, in terms of the meeting itself, it's a, uh, of course, something to be thinking about uh, as we get into that part of the summer, but also that arrives at a point in, the, in, in time when investors are reconsidering their positions anyways, uh, historically based on seasonality. Got it. Um, and of course, uh, part of the equation will see tomorrow uh, on the jobs front in the United States, as well as Canada, in terms of, you know, job creation, wage growth, um, that might also influence, of course, the Fed's meeting this, this month. But what are your expectations in terms of uh, jobs in Canada and the United States for tomorrow? Uh, well, the street is expecting uh, U.S. I believe around 600,000 jobs, the 550-600. The, uh, there's a possibility that it might um, that you might get a beat based on the fact that ADP payrolls uh, for the private sector, which came out today, were way above expectations. They were almost a million jobs created, so it was it was a pretty spectacular number. And, and why this is important, and why we're looking at employment for the United States, is to get an idea of they've had this big reopening run up. Is the momentum continuing or did we get this surge and then things level off? And, and so that's what we're watching for there. And that will also help to give us an idea of how much pressure is the Fed actually under. They talk about um, they're waiting to see for the economy to get fully back up on its feet. And, and the, the employment reports can give us an idea of how long is that going to take? Is, that, is this something that um, we might see the economy back up on its feet by the end of this year. Is it going to take into next year? It, it remains to be seen. And then we look at Canada, where in Canada we're running a, a few months behind the United States in terms of reopening. I mean, we're just slowly starting to see some provinces coming out of starting to come out of lockdown this month and and probably really more next month. So whereas the U.S. it was a couple of months ago when they uh, two three months ago when they really started to to reopen in a, in a big way. Mm -hmm. So, so based on that, uh, in Canada, we had a, a loss of 200,000 jobs in April. That was a, as the economy's locked down. And then now we're looking at May, the, the street is expecting a loss of around 20,000. So they're thinking it'll be more moderate. I suspect it might be a little bit more than that. Um, but, uh, and just on the basis that this, the, the lockdowns have continued through all of May. And, uh, and as I mentioned, even, even so far into the first half of June, 
uh, a mm -hmm. lot of places still remain pretty locked down. So, yeah, and that's a, a point in time based on, on the lockdowns. But if we step back, Colin, um, what I'm almost hearing from you, though, is you do sound quite bullish on the economy, the reopening, and probably the market, too. Is that accurate? Uh, yes, overall, I remain uh, optimistic. Uh, overall, uh, equities have continued to attract capital relative to other, other asset classes. We've seen uh, capital flows into equities and commodities more so than, uh, than bonds or, or, or cash. So investors are still in the, uh, still appear to be bullish and in an optimistic mood uh, at this point in time. And, and with good reason, I mean, it does look as though uh, we've had a, a great run on, uh, on vaccinations and, uh, and getting a, a huge amount of people vaccinated in this country in a short amount of time. That, uh, that we are starting to get up towards those levels where as, as they have in the United States, we might be able to start reopening more this summer. And if that's the case, it's certainly uh, beneficial for, uh, for Canada and for, uh, for the United States. And, and as, this, as this rolls out in other countries as well, the expectation is that other places may start be able to start reopening too. And, uh, and so we're still, uh, we're still really in the early innings of this. Hmm. And so from um, an asset allocation perspective or a geographic perspective even as well, um, where, where do you want to put your weightings towards at this point? Uh, so far at this point, uh, what we've seen in terms of uh, relative strength and asset allocation is, uh, is we've hit, we have seen Canadian equities have started to outperform U.S. equities uh, in, in recent weeks. And there, there's two factors behind that, the first of which is the, and, and in the way they're interrelated, one of which is that, as I mentioned, the, the sectors that Canada is more heavily weighted in and more exposed to have been on a tear lately. And it's been quite, quite some time where we've seen energy materials and financials all moving upward at the same time. And, and so that's been, uh, been beneficial for Canada. And of course, the other piece of that is that the Canadian dollar has been strengthening uh, relative to the US. The US ha dollar has been generally trending downwards through for the better part of a year now, but against, against all the other major currencies. But Canada has done particularly well, uh, not only against the US dollar, but also against the Euro, the pound, the Australian dollar, the yen. And, and a lot of the other major currencies. And, and we benefited from this uh, in a few ways. First off, uh, the Canadian dollar benefits from uh, strengthening commodity prices, particularly energy. But on top of that, as I, we mentioned, the, uh, the move by the Bank of Canada to start slowing down on its asset purchases puts them in the more hawkish camp relative to all the other central banks who are either neutral or still full on stimulus. So mm -hmm. the only other central bank that's even talked about uh, the, in terms of, oh, well, we're thinking about doing it at some point is the Bank of England. Everybody else is still full on stimulus. So the with the Bank of Canada veering off and, and, uh, and, and starting to cut back its, its asset purchases sooner than everybody else has put a wind in the sails of the Canadian dollar. Hmm. Um, what's the biggest risk out there in your mind? Uh, the biggest risks at, at this point in time are... Uh, or certainly we have had a, uh, an extremely strong run uh, in the markets since the March 2020 low. Uh, things have gone almost straight up for over a year now. So as we head into the summer, we ask ourselves the question of, uh, are markets due for a, a, a sizable correction or 
The other option is we could just see things grind sideways for a few months. And at this point in time, it's hard to say, and it may depend on the sector. In, in some cases, it may depend on the stocks. Uh, something we've seen uh, quite recently is the, uh, the Reddit stocks have, uh, have started to explode again uh, over the last few weeks. We saw them soar back in the, in the winter and, uh, and uh, some of them held up and some of them ended in tears. And, uh, and we're starting to see that sort of thing happen again. And, and so with, with that kind of volatility, I mean, that's just price-based technical trading that, uh, that, that's decoupled from the fundamentals. And, and so those risks are out there too. It's, it's almost a sense of there's, there's too much money chasing too few stocks because a lot of things are fully valued or at least appear to be fully valued at, at this point in time. And uh, and so at the margins, it's uh, there still seems to be some some room for some potential uh, volatility. Are you surprised that's happening again? Those Reddit trades. Um, I was a little bit surprised that it's it started to happen again. Uh, I, I think it's a function of that uh, that we did have a bit of a, a correction consolidation in the markets in the late, late in the late winter around March April, and now we've had to move up, and now we've moved into a, a, a phase where. Uh, earnings season has ended, corporate news flow has dried up. There's not much going on in, in terms of news to, to spark this kind of trading interest in the usual big cap tech stocks that, that, that mm -hmm. a lot of uh, individual traders like to play. The NASDAQ has gone sideways. And, uh, and with that, I think we've seen uh, uh, people starting to try and ch going back to chasing, chasing things out at, the, uh, out at the margins once again. It's pretty amazing because we, we do know that a lot of people got uh, very hurt by doing that, but they're back at it. Yeah, it's, it's quite amazing, the, uh, the resilience there. And, yeah. uh, and it just shows there, there's still a lot of money sloshing around out there right now. So I guess, Colin, bottom line um, then for our viewers, their takeaway at this point, when they think about their investments, their holdings, their portfolio, what should their mindset be? At this point in time, we uh, equities are have been continuing to attract capital and continuing to attract in, in interest from investors. But it's important to remember that uh, over the last year, um, equity markets have uh, it's really been more a story of sectors and and individual companies, and that has not changed. It's the the players and the leadership has been shifting, but because of the nature of this recovery and uh, and in the impact of lockdowns and, and reopenings over the last year, that that's the whole thing it still has not completely played out. And uh, and so because of that, even when, in, in times when we might see uh, indices doing doing different things, it's it's really the sector action that's been the most important. That's where we're seeing the biggest uh, changes in in tactical uh, moves, in tactical allocation, and in uh, in capital flows. And the best upside and the most opportunity. So to get the sector rotation right. Absolutely. The uh, absolutely, and that's where we're. Uh, that's where we, we've been seeing that uh, that investors have been able to uh, to particularly benefit and uh, and to take advantage of the uh, of the divergences between different groups over the uh, over the last year. This could continue for some time yet. Okay. All right, Colin. We will leave it there. It's great to see you and and be with you and have a longer format for our conversation. So thank you. Likewise, this was great. Good. Thanks so much, Colin.